We are in a series in the book of John. If you're just joining us or joining us for the first time in a while, we're in John chapter 7, and today is Palm Sunday. So it's this time we celebrate um, and remember when Jesus comes to the... uh, the city of Jerusalem. It's the beginning of the Passion Week when he's going to go and um, intentionally go to the cross, the path the Father has for him, to get willingly give his life to pay for the sins of the world, to cover the sins of the world, so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him can have eternal life and can have forgiveness of sins. So that's what we're celebrating this week. It's a big deal. And um, instead of being in one of those passages, we're, we're going to keep going in John today, but it's really neat, and this passage actually ties in, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But before I begin, I I actually want to start today by reading you the lyrics of a song by one of my favorite guitar players. Um, I watched, uh, anybody like John Mayer? Yeah? Yeah, he's like one of of my favorite guitar players, singer-songwriters, Continuum album, stellar, like great guitar playing, and I'm a guitar player, so I appreciate that, right? Watched this documentary with my son about a month ago, and we were just like spellbound watching this guy play uh, guitar, because he's fantastic. Uh, but he wrote this song, I think it was his, on his uh, second album that went big, you know, his first album just exploded, and he became incredibly popular, and, you know, um, had, you know, just a rock star lifestyle, right? Became like a rock star. And after that, on the second album, it's called Heavier Things, he, he writes this song. It says this, I'm not alone, I wish I was, because then I'd know I was down because I couldn't find a friend around to love me like they do right now. I'm dizzy from the shopping malls, I searched for joy, but I bought it all. It doesn't help the hunger pains and a thirst I'd have to drown first to ever satiate. And the course goes like this, something's missing and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing and I don't know what it is. No, I don't know what it is at all. Anybody identify with that? That feeling? Like something is missing and I just can't really put my finger on it. Look at my life, and you know, I, I got a good life, but there's there's just this something that's missing. Gang, let me tell you, I think this is something many people struggle with, right? More seasons than I care to admit. I I feel this thing inside. Now, John Mayer goes on um, in the bridge of the song to to list all these things that actually he thought would fill that something that was missing in his life. And uh, it's this kind of fun section. It's not on the screen, but basically he goes, friends, check, money, check, well-slept, check, opposite sex, check, guitar, that's an important one, check, microphone, check, messages waiting for me when I come home, check. Anybody remember an answering machine? Like, I've got, he, he's saying, like, I have all the, like, the advertisers on TV are telling me that I should have needed to be happy. Like, my life is a beer commercial. Um, he, he's dating Jessica Simpson. Um, and yet, none of this stuff is filling the void, right? None of this stuff. I have money, fame, all the toys, beautiful friends, and something is still 
missing. Maybe you can identify here today. Maybe that's what you're feeling. Or maybe you're in a, in a little different place where you're, you're still in this place where you're thinking, no, no, my problem is I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that check mark. I don't have that relationship. I don't have that thing. If I could just get there, if I could just get that, that would, that would do it for me. And if that's you, I hope you will hear, really listen to the words of Jesus today. If you have your Bibles, you can start turning on over to John chapter 7. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me. And just to remind you where we're at in this chapter, to set the stage for today, three times a year, uh, the people of Israel, God commanded them to go celebrate a feast. And they would go to the city of Jerusalem. They'd take a pilgrimage. You'd take your whole family down oftentimes. And um, one of those feasts was Sukkot. The other one is Passover, which is coming up this week, actually, on the calendar, and closely associated, we know, with, with Good Friday and with um, Easter Resurrection Sunday. But Sukkot is this other feast that happens in the fall to celebrate the, the harvest coming in, and God had commanded them to celebrate this in, in Leviticus, all the way out as they're wandering through the desert. He says, you shall dwell in booths or tents, so these temporary shelters, for seven days. Why? That your generations may know. I want this to be passed on generation to generation to generation that, that your children would understand and know what I, the way I sustained the people and rescued them and delivered them. Um, I have cared for you. I continue to care for you. And there was this ongoing thing that the generations would know, which is a really big deal. Also, Deuteronomy 6. It's something we talk about fairly frequently around here. That, that's the responsibility of the parents and the grandparents to pass faith, um, you know, at least the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God on to generation after generation to be having those conversations about God on the way to the soccer field and when you get up and on the way to school and faith is passed on generationally like that, right? And one of the best ways we know is traditions, right? And so God commanded them to do this. And once a year for, for eight days, God commanded them basically to have a big family camp, which sounds kind of like a lot of fun, doesn't it? You're like, no, I like my Hot showers and king-size bed. Me too. Okay. For the kids, though, it sounds like fun, doesn't it? <laughs> and they would celebrate and they would worship. They would have worship nights in the temple that went all night long. It was just this festive time of rejoicing and celebrating God, remembering. It was remembering God's faithfulness. And then it was also this great time of expectancy for the coming of the messianic age. There were, there were 70 sacrifices that were made. And it's interesting because uh, the total cumulative number over this is 70, which represented the 70 nations that rebelled against God all the way back at the Tower of Babel. And so it's this prophetic thing of God saying, there's going to be a time, a coming kingdom, when all the nations are going to come and worship me. It's this beautiful, beautiful time of expectation and celebration. And Jesus' brothers, on their way up, they say, come on up, come up with us. And Jesus says, no, my time is not yet here. And then he goes up in secret, because his brother's agenda was celebrity, but his agenda was the will of his father. And so Jesus, midway through the feast, begins to teach. That's what we looked at last week. And today, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 25. And actually, I'm, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read a pretty good chunk of Scripture. And I'm going to stop a little bit as we go and explain some things, but try to move pretty quickly. And then we're going to come back and circle around and camp out on two of the verses that we read here. 
And I want to really dig into it and how it applies to our lives. And so John chapter 7, verse 25 says this. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, is this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is Messiah? But we know where this man is from. And when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. And so Jesus is teaching, and they're concluding, why aren't they arresting him? They knew they were trying to kill him, arrest him. And yet here he is speaking, teaching freely, and they conclude, like, maybe, maybe the authorities actually think he's Messiah. But then they have this issue. They're like, but, but, but we, know, we don't know where the Messiah is going to come from. We know this is Jesus of where? Nazareth. See, you know too, don't you? Jesus of Nazareth. And see, the, the rabbis around this time had this rumor based on this sort of obscure um, teaching that the Messiah would just sort of materialize, appear on the scene, nobody would know where he was from or anything. And he'd just come and rescue and deliver and, and um, you know, become this leader that would deliver them from the power of Rome. And that's what they were expecting. And Jesus comes and they weren't expecting this sort of ordinary, like, we can trace down where you grew up, you know, we know your hood. They, they weren't expecting that, and they end up missing Jesus. And see, I think it's possible, listen up, it's possible because of religious traditions to completely miss what God is doing. It's very possible. Be careful from the conclusions you draw from less than clear scriptures. A lot of error, a lot of missing out on what God has done has come from conclusions humans have errantly made about trying to translate like sort of obscure things in the scripture, right? So 28, then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me. And you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he has sent me. Remember last week when they asked Jesus, where's your PhD from? Where'd you get your credentials? Like, you, you, you know, what university did you go to? And he said, heaven. This year, this time, they're like, you know, they're like, where is he from? Jesus of Nazareth, he's like, no, you, well, you know my earthly, like where I grew up, but you don't really know where I'm from because I'm from heaven. Like God has sent me under his power and under his authority. And you know what I find interesting in this? What did he do? He cried out. I don't know if you ever watched like old Jesus movies. There was this one uh, series that came out, I remember like in the early 2000s, I think, called Vintage 21 Jesus. And um, if you haven't seen it, you should go look it up on YouTube. It's very irreverent um, and funny because it's mocking some of our caricatures of Jesus. And so he like just sort of like, you know, speaks very softly and, you know, is this like blonde Norwegian guy with long curly hair because that's what every good Jewish kid looks like, right? Um, and he's very soft-spoken, and he goes around and goes, oh, oh, you sinners. Anybody remember that? Just me? Okay, you better look it up on YouTube. <laughs> Not now. Wait, you, wait till you go home. <laughs> but this is like, we don't, this is the sort of thing, Jesus cries out. He's passionate. He's intense. He's trying to get their attention. He cries out, wake up. 
Later on, he's going to cry out again. Like he makes a scene. Because why? Because he knows he is sent from heaven. He, he has come down to this earth from God, God in the flesh to dwell among you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. And he's there because what did we learn in John 3? Famous verse, you probably have it memorized by heart. For God so loved the world. He loved the world that he sent his only son. And by the world, when John uses the word the world, it's usually in a, in the, in a sense of the world that is in rebellion against God. And he loved these rebellious sinners enough that he sent his son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That they are already on the path of destruction, of perishing, but by believing in trusting in Jesus, they there's eternal life. And life we see, not just life that goes on forever, life in abundance. And Jesus knows this, and he loves these people enough to get in their face a little bit and make a bit of a stink. And here's why I think this is interesting. Like, you kind of like that when you're sitting in church. But people you love may die and go to hell. And so many times we are so scared of having a Jesus conversation just because we feel awkward. Just because it feels awkward. Jesus cries out. He gets a little intense. He's not afraid to, to speak the truth. And see, so many times we think, well, I'm just going to hang back and, you know, if they're ready, they'll ask me, I'll just be a good neighbor and take them cookies and, you know, water their lawn when they're on vacation and be nice. And they're going to they're gonna get around to, like, asking me, why do you have a Jesus sticker on your, on your car, right? Um, well, maybe they will. But you know what? For so many people, that's not the case, right? Why? Because they're busy. They're distracted. They're not like going around every day thinking about the deep existential questions of life. Because you aren't either a lot of times, right? Come on, be honest. It's kind of like um, that life insurance policy. I remember doing Dave Ramsey in my like 20s and hearing like, you know, baby steps and you need to get life insurance to support your family. And it's like, ah, I should do that someday. Like I should think about that, right? But it wasn't until actually... I got married, and then years later, five years later, I had a kid. Now I'm like, I think I better do this. So you should do that if you haven't. That's a good, wise thing to do, right? I think I should do this, right? My wife hates it because every time I do something stupid, um, I'm like, I have a good life insurance policy. And she's like, I don't want your life insurance. So I get in trouble all the time every time I remind her of that. But see, some people go through life maybe with the nagging feeling that something's missing, like John Mayer says. But their response is just to drown it in Netflix and ice cream. Habits, destructive habits, sometimes with achievement and accumulation of things and more toys and more recreation. Right? 
They're not asking the big questions. They're not always asking big questions about eternity, about heaven, and about hell. And as a follower of your Savior who cries out because he knows he's the only way to eternal life. As someone who's called, you know, as a follower, you're also an emulator of your Savior, right? You're called to get over yourself enough to have conversations, to invite people to ask questions that maybe they're not asking, to look for opportunities when the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and just nudges you. I um, mean, you'll know it, trust me. It's that still small voice that says, I want you to you know, pick up the phone and check in with so-and-so or ask if you can pray for them. Or now's the opportunity, open your mouth and, and say, you know, do you know, where, do you know where you're gonna spend eternity? You'll know. And as a follower of your Savior, that's both our privilege and our responsibility. Jesus cried out. Verse 30. I better hurry or I'm not going to have time for the last two verses. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? See, Jesus didn't go up at first, right? He says, no, basically what he's saying is the, the festival of Sukkot will be fulfilled. But there's a different festival I have to go to first. It's the one that we're celebrating this week, right? Passover, where I'll give my life as the Lamb of God, sacrifice for the sins of the world. My time has not yet come. And I love it because he he's not reckless. He doesn't go up. He knows they're trying to kill him, but he still goes up. He's fearless. I think that's an interesting thing about following God. There's a pattern for walking out life under God's sovereignty. You're not reckless. You don't make stupid decisions. You know, don't walk into danger, but you, um, on purpose, but you're, still, you're fearless when you find yourself in a dangerous place, right? Like Paul had a serpent that um, um, latched onto his hand and it didn't kill him. He shook it off. But I, he wasn't, like, looking for that, right? I'm, that's, we're not a, I'm not a snake handler. We don't do that here, right? <laughs> don't tempt the Lord your God, right? So I just find that interesting about Jesus' example, that his time had not yet, yet come. So he goes up, but not the way that they call him to. He goes up in God's timing. He follows God. He's fearless. He, he's going to give his life, but he's not reckless. And I think that's a really good um, little example for us. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the guards to arrest him. Go get him, guys. This has gone too far. The crowd's starting to like, he, he sway in the crowd. And Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. So the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. They're clueless. They're like, what? And again, remember, where's your PhD? Heaven. Where are you from? Where are you from? Heaven. God. Um, where are you going? heaven. Back to, the, back to the throne of God, right? And see, just because you know the book's been out a while and, and hopefully you've read it, right? 
you probably know what he's talking about here, but they didn't have a clue. He's talking about his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Where I'm going, I'm going back to the Father. And there's a very sobering thing here. There's a sobering reality, and that's that you can ignore Jesus when he's smack dab in front of you trying to get your attention and consequently end up missing him eternally. He's literally speaking to some people here who have the opportunity to to listen, to perk their ears up, to hear what he's saying, to believe in him, and yet they won't. And many of them will go on to miss him eternally. That's why the scriptures say, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Verse 37. On the last and the greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, or literally, he cried out again. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, pay attention to this section. We're going to come back to it. This is what I want to come back to and really dig into. But first, let me finish reading this section. Verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet, the great prophet that Moses said will come after him. Others said, He is Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Like, again, we know, like Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee, right? How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not, now these people had a little more knowledge, right? Does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Hmm. Do you remember Christmas? I know it's almost Easter, but remember? Oh, little town of what? Oh, yeah. See, See, they had an assumption. They thought they knew all the facts, but they didn't, did they? And we got to be careful about what we assume, don't we? Because they end up missing Jesus because he didn't fit their assumption. Even though the rea- they had the right idea, but their assumption was that this, this wasn't actually the case, right? So thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Can you imagine that? They go, pull up on the side and there's this giant crowd and they're like, well, let's just wait for him to take a little coffee break. And they start listening and his words pierce their heart. And they're like, we can't arrest this guy. God is moving on their hearts, right? Why? His time has not yet come. Again, the sovereignty of God, the bigger picture, right? On a human level, God moves their hearts. But it's, it's not his time yet, right? No one ever spoke this way or the way this man does, the guards replied. The religious leaders, uh, now they're all frustrated. Ah, can you imagine? Like, they're just angry. Like, they send the guards to arrest him, and they can't even arrest him. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? 
No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. These simpletons, these ignorant, ignorant people, country bumpkins. It's all these people that came into Jerusalem from Galilee, you know. <laughs> and at this point, Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus? He shows up in chapter 3, we meet him. He has this incredible conversation with Jesus, where Jesus says, he's asking about inheriting, being part of the kingdom of God, experiencing true life, eternal life. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. That there's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. There's something that happens in, inside of you and that happens through trust in me. You have to be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus, is, he's been thinking about it and he's been watching Jesus from a distance. And I think he's beginning to believe and he, he takes this great risk and he sticks up for Jesus. Um, next, next week, no, we won't look at this next week, but we've talked about this on Easter before. Nicodemus is one of the, one of the um, reasons. If, if it hasn't been for Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, um, Jesus' body would have probably been torn, taken down and thrown on a garbage heap, which then the people would have been, probably had a lot easier time explaining away when you know, he wandered back into town a few hours after you know, only being on the cross for like three hours. But after they pierced his side with the spear and blood and water came out after Joseph and Nicodemus carefully embalmed him in 75 pounds of spices and placed him in a tomb with a giant rock in front of it that weighed tons, all of a sudden, the empty tomb got the attention of the world, right? So Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? You're from Delta County, aren't you? Um, sorry. Look into it. And you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And this scene is so, I mean, there's so much like both humor, so many sobering realities, right? It's noisy, it's chaotic. You just get this picture of them like so frustrated and angry and like, then they just go home, you know? It's like, all right, let's go home. We can't get Jesus. It's this frustrating scene. And in the midst of it, they miss the very thing they've been longing for all their lives, the thing that can fill that something that's missing. They miss what Jesus had just offered them. Verse 37, the last, the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he cried out. He cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. See, here's what happened on the last and the greatest day of the festival. And during this festival, they would, they would lead a procession each day, and they would go down, and they would draw golden pitchers of water from the pool of Siloam. Remember the guy that got healed by the pool of Siloam? And then there were all these steps that would go up to this giant temple mount and the huge, massive structure, and they'd lead this procession, this crowd of worshipers up. They'd draw the water up, and then they'd bring it into the temple, and there was a choir, and there were all the people, congregations singing. They'd be, they sang worship songs like uh, the Psalms, their worship songs, right? They would sing what's called the Halal, which is Psalms 113 through 118. 
And they'd, they'd just sing and worship God. And when they got to the end of that, they, they would wave palm branches. Does that sound familiar? As this celebration of the, uh, and myrtle branches and, and hold citrus in their hands, as it was a celebration of the coming of the harvest. And then they would pour out the water and the wine, also wine on the altar. And the people would, would shout out, Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. And as they poured out the water, they would understand this. To be both about the Lord's provision of water in the desert, that God had done for them in the past, when he brought them out. Remember the rock, the water that came out of the rock? But also about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the last days. That there would be a time when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. It's an anticipation. And it's in this moment that Jesus cries out, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone. Hey, you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. I remember, have you ever been really thirsty? Yeah, like I... I think we're such a, like, a hydration culture. Have you noticed that? Like, you have camelbacks, and we didn't have that stuff when we were kids, right? Somehow we survived, but, like, you send your kids with giant water bottles. I'm always telling my kid, drink water, right? Um, I remember going hunting with a a good buddy of mine and uh, his wife, and we went way up on this ranch, and I don't know. I used to grow up hunting with my... um, with my dad, and we go out at four in the morning, and all I remember is freezing cold, right? I was just freezing, freezing cold. And uh, so I go out with my buddy. I don't know why I'm thinking. I bring, like, one little water bottle, right? Well, it's, like, hot out there, like shirt sleeve weather. We go out. We get up this mountain, and we're going all day long. We're hiking up hills and down hills and riding four-wheelers and looking for animals and we're exhausted, and I'm just parched, right? And finally, right before dusk, we, we spot some elk, because that's usually the way it works, right? Uh, and, and it's like, oh, great. So we get them. We get two couple elk down, and we're having to, like, pack them out and all, you know, the whole story, because the work, real work starts if you actually get an animal when you're, when you're hunting, right? Right? <laughs> And finally, by the time we get them loaded up, brought down to the truck, we're driving back, and we get down to the back, and I remember going in this little gas station, just parched, and I get, like, this giant bottle of Gatorade and just chug the whole thing, chug, 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 right? And just feel the nourishment coming into my body and the sustenance, right? And to a culture that lives in the desert that understands, like, literally, you don't have water, you, you can die, right? Quickly, we understand that. Western Colorado. That's why we hydrate when we go hiking or biking. That thirst. They, they knew that thirst. And he says, hey, anybody thirsty? And he's not speaking about actual physical water, is he? What is he speaking of? That thirst deeper within your soul. That thing, that something that's missing that you can't fix. That you maybe can't even put your finger on what it is. Something's missing. Anyone thirsty, he says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Does that sound nice? Like rivers that not only fill you up, but 
But quench your thirst enough that you have, you like it spills out, it goes somewhere, it, it impacts others, it brings life. That's what rivers do, right? Go up on like Palisade Rim or look down at the valley, you'll see what does rivers do? It brings life, it brings life to others. What a promise. And Jesus, in this moment, as they have this celebration, as they pour out the water, as they wave the palm branches, and on Palm Sunday, that's what, like, it's like they're thinking, like, Sukkot, oh, it's coming in the spring. The Messianic age has arrived, and so they don't have any prepared palm branches, but you read the scriptures, and the disciples, like, climb trees and cut, cut branches down, lay their cloaks out. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's how these two festivals tie together. And Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of this. And six, six months from then, he'll go on to give his life to cover the sin, to, to cover the sin of the world. Three days later, he'll rise from the dead. Fifty days later, after he ascends to the Father, the promised Holy Spirit will come on the day of the Pentecost. Peter will preach a sermon and 3,000 people will get saved. Jesus says, it's here. Don't miss it. Come. You want life, that thing that's missing? Come to me and find it. I am the fulfillment of everything you've been longing for and celebrating as you do this, as you have these conversations with your kids and you camp out. This whole thing's about me. It's about me. See, the promise is, is for those who believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from them. Can I just say, your faith is meant to not just be an intellectual thing that you are sent to. It's something that's meant to be experienced in a powerful way. Like this whole ho-hum Christianity thing, like, yeah, yeah, come to church. And, but there's no power, there's no victory, there's no like fruit of the Spirit, none of the stuff in your life. That's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus promises, let let those who come to me come and drink and livers, rivers of living water. Like there's going to be something different and marked about your life that brings blessing to others, that brings life and fulfillment to you. It's the promise. And who's invited? Anyone. Anyone who is thirsty is invited. It's for all of us. It's the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit flowing out of our life. What is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. A life that like is marked by those things. It's it's refreshment, it's peace, it's fulfillment, it's joy, it's power over sin. Not just like a constant pattern of like giving in and giving in and giving in and feeling guilty, um, but never actually doing anything about it. It's walking with the Holy Spirit and him and then bringing a power over that, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a life of victory over that. It's not just eternal life that goes on forever. It is that, and that's beautiful, but it's abundant life. Jesus promises, I give you life and life in abundance. 
And it's this living water that flows out of your heart that reaches out. And the overflow of the Holy Spirit in our life should be touching everyone and everything around us in a, in a beautiful, positive way that brings life, right? So here's the tension on this is, is for probably a, a number in the room is why, why are you not experiencing that? Why are you not experiencing that? Because I'm guessing for you, and maybe you're in a season like this right now, maybe, maybe you're in this place right now where you're like, wow, yeah, I remember in my life this time where I just, there was this deadness in my soul. Maybe that's where you're at right now. I wouldn't characterize my life as being filled with living water, overflowing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like pouring out gifts that like come out that we that God gives us to minister to others. Not not really happening. It's not the way the Christian life was designed to be lived. And see, there's something in us that knows that, but we don't know we don't know why, right? Why is there still that thing that you're like, eh, something's missing and I can't. Fix it. I think part of it's because we live in a broken world. Like there's a sense that until we are actually physically in the presence of God, we, there will always be this thirst and this longing, right? That's not what I'm talking about, though. Um, I think we all have a sense sometimes that something's missing. C.S. Lewis, I love the quote. I think he puts it best. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is we were made for another world. See, the problem isn't actually just that there's this something. It's the question of where are we going to fill that something? And see, here's the, the, the illusion that I, I think for so many Christians, it's, it's, you know, experiencing for some, you, you have, you know, you accepted Jesus as a child. That's kind of all you remember growing up um, following Jesus. Others, like you got radically saved at a point or a moment um, and, you know, the Holy Spirit filled you up and, and you had this amazing season of following God and somewhere along the way you lost it. And there's such a thing as, as, actually following God closely and still experiencing a dry season. The, the, you know, greats of the faith called it a dark season of the soul. There are seasons we go through um, where, where you're pressing in and it just feels like you're not getting anywhere. But for so many, I think the majority of followers of Jesus that feel this like something's missing, it's not that, it's that you're going somewhere else to fix it. You're going somewhere else to fill. You're going somewhere else to a different well to drink to try to fill that thing. And somewhere along the way, the intimacy with God, the going to Jesus and experiencing life, the getting up and, and spending time with him and walking with the Holy Spirit and going through life, listening to him, just got crowded out, right? You got busy. You got distracted. You got self-focused. And you're wondering, like, why am I thirsty? You read this and it just sounds like, Really, Jesus? And you're wondering, why not me? 
And, and can I just suggest to you, to, to probably many in the room, that perhaps the reason you're feeling that way is you have neglected the source of life. You have neglected the way of life. You know, there's, um, we call them spiritual disciplines. <clears throat> that people, followers of Jesus for 2,000 years now, have, have, have felt as vital things to stay connected with the source of life. Prayer, regular time meditating on God's word, like setting time aside to, for silence, to be just silent before him, allow him, like just <clears throat> spending time fasting, right? That's not many of our favorite one. There's, there's these spiritual disciplines, just setting some time, just praying more than like, God, thank you for this food. Bless the kids at bedtime. But actually like spending some time going, Lord, this day is yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be aware of what you're bringing into my life today. I want to walk with you. I want to respond when you bring opportunities into my life. How many of you have any quiet time in your life? How many? See, it's so easy. The problem with like, have you noticed that the problem with like doing your devotion on your Bible app, maybe you're more disciplined than me, um, is there's a lot of other stuff on your phone too. And ding, before you know it, cat videos, 30 minutes later. Some of you need to actually pick up a paper Bible again. Go back to some of the scriptures that got you through those seasons 10 or 20 years ago and just read them slowly and ask God to speak to you through them and ask him to bring that life back to your soul. There's a scripture where Jesus is writing, speaking to different churches in Revelation. John, the apostle, records it. And he says, here's the deal. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. For, for some of you, that's the problem. It, it is, you're like, I, you quit doing the things that brought you life. You ignored them. You put it on the back burner. There's this great um, joke I, I heard, um, illustration of this like old couple, you know, in their 80s driving down the road, an old beat-up pickup truck, and the wife's over on the one side, and the husband's driving, and the wife looks over and says, why aren't we close anymore? You know, you used to have your hand on my knee, and we just had this, like, love and intimacy. Why aren't we close? And he looks over and says, I haven't gone anywhere. Ouch, right? But see, here's the thing. Jesus says, do what you did at first. And so many times what we do when it comes to experiencing that vibrant life of faith that we're supposed to have, filled with the Holy Spirit, overflowing to others, peace, joy, fulfillment in our lives, hope. We're like, ah, Jesus just uh, isn't close to him anymore. No, he didn't go anywhere. You quit doing the things you did. You quit doing the stuff. You quit doing the stuff. Years ago, I, uh, I, I like, looked, stepped on the scale and went, oh, man. And uh, so I, I got on this paleo diet and about six months, worked hard, worked out, lost, like, 40-some pounds, right? 
And then I planted a church years later and started stress eating a little bit and quit doing the stuff. I know the stuff. I know I, I could explain to you exactly about all of the, how the whole thing worked, and it worked great. I just quit doing it. And some of you, when it comes to your faith, you quit doing it. You quit coming to Jesus. You notice these, these verbs in here are present tense when it, when it's on that scripture. Those who come to me and drink, they're, they're active present tense. There's an ongoing thing here. It's not like, come to me 20 years ago and drink. You, you need to keep coming to the source of life. Keep seeking him. It, keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep pursuing. Don't, don't become weary. Some of you, you're just so worn out and tired. And for some, like you, you, the thing you need to hear is keep going. Because there are seasons that you have to walk through where you need perseverance. You need to just walk it out faithfully, right? Um, Galatians, Paul says, don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And let me just say, for some of you, the cure is to get beyond yourself. Like, maybe the answer for you isn't just another Bible study or another, like, thing to fill your head with. It's to begin to share your faith with others. Maybe you remember that time, perhaps years ago, where you shared your faith and that, like, electricity. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was flowing through you. Like, bringing life-giving rivers to other people, whether or not they actually, like, did anything with it. Just participating in what God was doing, right? And for some of you, it's that service. It's that actually speaking up and getting over your fear of awkward and actually just speaking into the lives of someone else. Have you noticed that a lot of times when you're tired, the cure isn't a nap. The cure is like you go down, you work out, you're like, wow, I feel great. And this is how I think it is a lot of times when it comes to walking with the Holy Spirit. Would you stand? Actually, stay sitting. I'm just kidding. I'm going to invite Winston up. And here's what I want to do. We're going to close in a song. And as we do, I, I just want to invite you um, to just be quiet. You can sing if you want at some point. But as we begin this song, I'm going to invite you. And you can go ahead right now. Just bow your head. Just close your eyes. If you're willing to, why don't you just place your hands in front of you in an upright position. And for some in the room, you need the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Your heart is crying out to experience God in the way that you used to. You feel dry and dead inside. As we sing this, I just invite you to maybe confess something you need to to him. Just ask him for his power and his presence in your life to fill you again anew, afresh. Just spend some time with him.